Hey y'all, it's Jonna. This week's episode was really fun, super inspiring, just like all the other ones we've done so far. It has been something that just kind of has shaken us all up. People that have listened have said, like, I just want to do more. I want to do something different. I, you know, know that I'm called to help others and whatever that looks like. So these are more grander scale things that can really excite you, but know that you can do it in even smaller ways. Uh, Bethany is amazing. She is the CEO and founder of the Root Collective, which if you haven't heard of is a pretty big deal. I mean, guys, Candace Cameron Bure wore them in some Hallmark movies. So, I mean, I'm just saying that's a big deal. That's DJ Tanner, if you don't know, but, um, yeah, Bethany's awesome. I can't wait for you to listen to this episode. Hey, Donna. Hey, Laura. How are you? I'm good. My parents were just here. It was a good visit. Um, Will's sister got engaged. That was exciting. Wow. So, yeah, Will's dad had surgery on Monday (laughs) of this week. (laughs) And and, uh, his, 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 uh, his sisters, one of his other sisters here, and then the other one's coming. So it's busy. Yeah. Feels, you know what it feels like? It feels like it's getting near the holidays where everything starts to ramp up. Yes. But for what sure, about y'all? We're, uh, we're not far away. That's for sure. Yeah. Uh, uh, well, you know, we're in the cone again. <laughs> oh my gosh. I mean, at this point it's the cone of shame. It's not even the cone of uncertainty. I know. I know my, bro- my older brother who lives in California near the wildfires. Um, he, we were messaging this morning on our family group thing. And my younger brother was like, okay, between the fires and the hurricanes, sounds like you guys just need to move to where I am. He's in Nashville. Um, and then my older brother was like, y'all have tornadoes. What are you talking about? It's <laughs> like, oh my gosh. But yeah, we mm. are back in the cone. He asked how many times we had been, been the, in this situation. And I was like, I don't know. I've lost count. Don't ask, but we got everything. Yeah. Yeah. The boys have early release today. I'll be going to pick them up in just a little bit. And, um, then we will tease our friend, Leslie Jordan's. (laughs) We'll hunker down. (laughs) Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Uh, It's not cool. It's not cool, but, uh, I don't think, I don't think it's going to be bad. We'll see. Yeah. Oh, famous last great. Great. Great, Laura. <laughs> way to go, Laura. Way to do it. <laughs> yeah. Way to way to bring this upon the Pascagoulians. <laughs> I know. But hey, do you know what I do have on today? What you got? I got my It's Fine shirt on. And it's not just any It's Fine shirt. It's your it newly received in the mail It's Fine shirt. That is correct. So hopefully, guys, if you ordered It's Fine or Tis So Sweet shirts in this last fundraiser for our adoption, uh, you have gotten your shirts. And certainly, if you have not yet, please let us know so we can track them down and figure out what is going on. Um, But I love it. It's the navy. This was a new color option for this go round. And I love it. I love it a lot. Yeah, that's awesome. It felt felt good. I love it. Yeah, well... (laughs) It's all of 20. I, I know our good friend, listener, follower, fan, friend, all the things. <laughs> Catherine Brown, she posts hers and she wears it. And I, she said, she's like, it's the shirt of 2020. I'm like, it little is. did we know. Little know. did we know. So know. Who, who could have thought um, it yeah. would out this way? But hey, today's episode is one I'm super excited about. Yeah, me too. It, it was fun. I mean, 
She's an amazing, amazing individual. She really is. She is uh, Bethany Tran is who we are talking about. And Bethany is the CEO and founder and designer and <laughs> All the things. Yeah, like, <laughs> she's like uh, storage. She has the storage for and all of the things in her house. Um, Bethany is the CEO and founder of The Root Collective, which is a fair trade shoe company uh, that is based in Raleigh, North Carolina. And she partnered with artisans in Guatemala to just create the most beautiful shoes. Um, Mm -hmm. All of the fabrics are hand woven. Every part of it is um, ethically sourced. And um, just, I love hearing her story of just, unexpected bravery is what I think Mm -hmm. I think of her like yeah yeah she's like she always tells my students she's talked to my my retailing students several times and she always tells them she was living the American dream and then she went to Guatemala (laughs) well that'll do it to you yeah just um took such a huge step to uh start this company and uh just I'm so proud of her it's so fun to watch her be successful She's, she's very inspiring. And I think that when people listen, they're going to be inspired and listen, she, she wasn't Geppetto before she went to, (laughs) to Guatemala, but she is now. So, and maybe she's not Geppetto now. She's just found Geppettos to work with, but we all need to be more like Bethany. Yeah. Yes, for sure. For sure. So let's get to it. Okay. Okay, we are so excited to have our friend and um, founder. Can I call you the CEO? I like to call you the CEO. That's my title officially. Yeah, I like <laughs> it. I'm just going to call you. Do you have time to call you that too? <laughs> I should. I really should. Oh. I feel like, no, yeah. really honey, my title is CEO. Of the yeah. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I love it. So founder and CEO of the Root Collective, which is a fair trade, ethically sourced um, shoe brand that if you're not familiar with, you need to just like, as you're listening to this, go ahead and mosey on over to the rootcollective.com. I just held my foot up so Bethany could see that I have on my cute Gabby flats today. <laughs> um, they are super comfortable. I love them. Um, and I, I've, I've had the, um, the embroidered ones mm-hmm. in my cart a dozen times or more over the last, I want them so badly. And I'm like, I don't work outside the home anymore, people. <laughs> you, you know what, the thing too, though, is that, and the thing that's great about these shoes is that you can dress them up or dress them down. Mm-hmm. That's true. I love going to the grocery store. Like today, I had to go to the grocery store and Ugh, I'm pregnant, which means I don't wear real clothes anymore. So I've got like a tank top and leggings on and I just put on a pair of our cute flats and I'm like, I yeah. literally feel put together right now. Yeah. 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 I, I, I need to do that more with shoes. Um, I do that a lot with earrings. Like yeah. it doesn't, yeah. It doesn't matter what I have on. I will have earrings in um, because it makes me feel like I've made some kind of an effort. So shoes are the um, earrings for your feet. There you go. There's there it is, Bethany. Your new time. Hire me for all your marketing needs, guys. Do you like earrings for your feet? I love it. And they always fit. You're you're welcome. 
no matter no matter how many pounds you put on during hold on though okay you said you're pregnant which that's exciting we're gonna get to that have your feet grown in size at all not yet fingers Mm. crossed man i was actually thinking about this not long ago um because i i got a new pair of our flats we just launched Mm -hmm. um a mule which i'm obsessed Mm -hmm. with and i got is beautiful so pretty and they're so comfortable and so Mm -hmm. I took I'm a size six I took my normal size six and I'm thinking crap I hope these still fit me in you know a couple of months from now because so many women's feet grow yeah during pregnancy Mm -hmm. um and I'm like I really hope I don't end up with a closet full of shoes that don't fit me anymore Mm -hmm. (laughs) especially in a tiny little size six girl I know it's tiny little fit oh my gosh your business right there just so you got cute shoes that fit yeah <laughs> it's so true yep you know it's actually, it can be bad though like having it so accessible because if you're having a bad day it makes oh. therapy real easy <laughs> yes yes just climb right climb right up there and get you a new pair of shoes uh-huh. bethany yeah oh my gosh well okay so we've just jumped right in because that's what we do is well, we just start chatting so let's back up a little bit <laughs> and let's um tell our listeners about bethany Tran. tell us how um who you are what makes you tick uh what you love doing um and about your family Gosh, there's so many questions there. I know there's a lot. Remember them all. So it's like 2020, Laura's hard hitting journalism. <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah, my name is Bethany Tran. Um, <laughs> we went over that a couple times now. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, my background I actually have professionally, I have a marketing background. So, that is uh, kind of where I landed. Um, did not necessarily go to school thinking I was going to go into marketing, nor did I ever in a million years think I was going to start a business. It's not even remotely on my radar, um, <laughs> not even a little bit. So um, let's see, it really, I mean, I'll give you the short version. I, it's always so hard. I can like ramble on about this forever. <laughs> Would you like to be a part of our podcast? Yeah. <laughs> say the seeds were planted for it about 11 years ago now I think it was 11 um friends of mine had started a nonprofit that works in a slum community in Guatemala City and um one of my friends was one of the founding members and she had told me it was I don't know this like seared in my brain it was a girl's night at a friend's apartment um I think it was like September-ish 11 years ago and she told me, she's like, I'm moving to Guatemala um, for a year. Like she wasn't going to go permanently, but she's like, I'm going to move to Guatemala for a year. Um, Lemonade International was partnering with an existing nonprofit in Guatemala. So they were already working in the slum community. Um, so she's like, I'm just going to go down and, you know, essentially kind of help things get a little bit more organized and <clears throat> whatever else they need help with. Yeah, so she tells me this, and I'm normally a processor. Like, I don't just open up my mouth and say things like, cool, I'm going to come visit. And yet, those words came out of my mouth um, weirdly. And it was, 
I, I don't know. You know how sometimes it's just like God's like, hey, you're supposed to do this thing and you know beyond a shadow of a doubt. And that happens almost never to me, like mm-hmm. almost never. But it was one of those immediate, I, I knew I was supposed to do this. I was supposed to go. So she moved, I think it was in January of the following year. And I touched down in the Guatemala City Airport on Valentine's Day. Oh my gosh. Um, so I went, I think it was three weeks after she moved down there. I came down to visit, um, you know, and she didn't believe me that I was actually going to come because everybody's like, oh, cool. You're moving to a different country. And I'm going to come visit. Um, yeah. I mean, they don't even come to Austin. I mean, it's like, <laughs> yeah. gosh, I really want to come to Austin. Well, d- you know, don't say that and then not come. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right, we're going to plan it. We're yeah. Gonna- <laughs> were you married at the time or were you single? I was single at the time. So I had not yet met my husband. Um, Where was I? I was, yeah, I was still living in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania at the time. Um, I ended up moving to Philadelphia very shortly after that trip. It was like, I think six months later, I ended up moving to Philly. Um, So I went down to Guatemala that first time, spent a week in um, hanging out in the slum. Um, and what Lemonade International does is, um, <clears throat> gotta back up a little bit, explain the school system in Guatemala. So Guatemala public schools, they've got two sessions a day. So like you either go in the morning or you go in the afternoon. Um, and the problem with that is that if your parents are lucky enough to be working, um, if like, let's say you're going to the morning session, you're pretty much on your own all afternoon. So these kids are, um, you know, really the, the true definition of a latchkey kid. Um, a lot of times they just don't have any supervision. And, um, the, the big problem with that is this slum, uh, Guatemala in general is really known for the gang violence. So the gang violence there is just out of control. It's considered one of the most dangerous slums in the world. Um, I will say from what I understand, it's gotten better in the last 10 years. Um, but when I went that first time, um, I remember, I think it was the second day I was there, we were walking through the slum and my friend Leah starts chuckling. Cause there's people just hanging out on like their front stoops and it's like really super narrow streets. Like you can't drive into here. You have to walk mm-hmm. in the slum. And she starts chuckling and I was like, what? And she was like, everybody's out because they heard there was another gringa down here. Um, (laughs) Check it, check it out. (laughs) I'm about to watch the spectacle of this white girl going through this slum. Um, And I've met people in Guatemala and Guatemalans who now live here in the States. And they find out that I, you know, would go hanging out in the slum and they're like, you are out of your mind. Like Mm -hmm. most Guatemalans won't go in there. Um, but I, you know, took this week of just, you know, taking in what poverty actually looks like when you're face to face with it, which, you know, I think you can grow up having an understanding of it. Um, and, you know, I didn't grow up wealthy by any stretch of the imagination. Um, but you think you understand poverty until you see it. And, um, you know, one of the big things that I learned on that trip was that a lot of people who lived in that community 
wanted to work. They wanted a job mm. and no one would hire them simply because of where they lived. So people would literally have to lie about their address in order to get a job because they were essentially considered, you know, second-class citizens. Mm-hmm. Um, and another big thing was the gangs recruit so heavily there. And one of the first things the gangs are going to do if you join a gang is they're going to tattoo you face, neck, mm-hmm. and somewhere very visible. Um, and I feel like gang members should switch it and be real big into MLMs. I mean, They've got a really good recruiting process. They, they, they really are. Yeah. <laughs> um, so if you were to join a gang and get tattooed and then like, let's say a couple weeks later, you're like, get me out of Ow. it. You can't. Number one, the gangs are going to come after you. They're going to come after your family. Um, or now no one's going to hire you because you've been marked. Mm-hmm. So there was kind of that whole side of things um, and just, you know, learning what, um, you know, not that the U.S. is you know, in a lot of senses safe by any stretch, but being in a situation mm-hmm. like that where you're, you know, you're not safe mm-hmm. um, and the people who live there are not safe. Um, but then also really looking at how nonprofits are traditionally run. And, you know, so many nonprofits focus on education and healthcare, which is so important. Um, but then I'm, I'm looking at these people who want to work um, who would probably ideally really love to be able to, you know, send their kids to school on their own. Cause Lemonade International, I, I skipped over that part. Um, it, like if you went to school in the morning, you could come to their academy in the slum in the afternoon. So there was, mm. the big thing was essentially gang prevention. So like if we can keep mm. the kids off the street, cause the gangs would recruit the kids because if they were to get caught doing an assassination which is what they would do they would send the kids out to do assassinations they would be tried as a minor instead of an adult so they would specifically recruit the kids who really most of the time just wanted a family they wanted something to belong to um it's a very machismo culture so you know the boys wanted to look tough um so they're being given all these opportunities to recruit kids because the kids were on their own. So Lemonade International started these academies so that if kids went to public school in the morning, they could come to the academy in the afternoon and vice versa. So they were really looking at it as gang prevention, keeping the kids off the street. They'd help them with their homework that they had with the public schools. um, And they would feed them. And some of these kids, it was the only meal that they would get that day. Um, so they were really solving a lot of problems there. Um, but, you know, coming, coming into that, um, not having a nonprofit background, but, you know, having more of a business background, it's like, are we, are we coming at this backwards? Mm-hmm. Like, should we be empowering the parents to be able to take care of their kids? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, cause education is so important, but how much more empowering would it be for these parents to be able to, you know, do this on their own? Um, cause just looking at myself, like, I don't want somebody coming in saying here, you can't do this by yourself. Let me help you. Mm-hmm. Like that mm-hmm. to me is not something that I would ever want somebody to say to me. Um, so why are we going to do that to somebody else? Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm not in any way, shape or form bashing nonprofits because I think that they, they really serve a purpose. Um, but for me, it was like, I think maybe we've been going about this the wrong mm-hmm. way. Mm-hmm. Um, So I came back from that trip, a very different person from when I went down there, um, ended up going back down 
a few times over the next couple of years and, and really every time just coming back being like, I don't understand why, you know, somebody's not realizing that this could be a way to solve poverty, like giving people jobs is a way to solve poverty. And yeah, who would have thought? I know who would have thought that that could be a good thing, but it, it wasn't a thing at the time. Like mm. social yeah. entrepreneurship didn't like that word didn't exist. People had no idea what it meant. Um, at the time, I think, you know, Noonday Collection had probably just started, but they didn't really have a name. Now, a lot of people in the fair trade world know who they are. Tom Shoes, which, you know, you can go either way on to whether or not they're a mm-hmm. social business. I've got a lot of uh, opinions about that, but mm-hmm. if nothing else, they opened up the conversation mm-hmm. with business for good, like what it could look like if businesses were structured for good. Um they were just coming onto the scene at this time. So, um, so in between these three years, I had met my husband, um, actually really got talking with him because I had just gotten back from a trip from Guatemala. Um, and he had done some, uh, mission work in Haiti and also here in the U S up in Maine. So, um, that was literally the thing that connected us, which is kind of funny looking back on it now. Um, and so it was three and a half years between that first trip um, until I, I kind of went through um, a bit of a upheaval in my life. <laughs> Three things happened kind of back to back. Um, I had started a job at Comcast. So working for one of the largest corporations in the country, like this is the epitome of the American dream. Mm-hmm. I've made it. Like it was super hard to get mm-hmm. a job there. Um, people that I knew were like, how did you get in? I've been trying to get in there for years. And so here I am, you know, working downtown Philadelphia on the 40th floor, made it. Yeah. You've arrived. I was miserable. (laughs) Isn't that interesting? (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, And so I'm like in this job, I've never cried at a job so quickly because it was just, it felt empty to me. Mm -hmm. I'm like, I'm, this is not where I'm supposed to be. And I knew I wasn't supposed to be there. Um, and then three weeks later, I turned 30 and I went through my second quarter life crisis in five years. Again, just being like, <laughs> what is, what is happening? Like, why am I here? What am I doing with my life? Um, at the time, 30 felt really old. Oh, that's not anymore. But you're supposed to have your life figured out by 30, right? Yeah. That's- they tell you and it's, that's what yeah uh-huh, yeah it's completely not true um and about two or three months after that pbs aired the documentary half the sky um which i don't even know where you can watch it online anymore it used to be on netflix it is no longer but uh, mm-hmm. hunt it down and watch it um it was based off of a book written by um a journalist and his journalist wife um they both write for the new york times um, and they follow the story of eight women around the world because women hold up half the sky or half the population. And these women are doing insane things like working in the red light district in India, um, you know, trying to rescue women out of sex trafficking, rescuing girl, like girls out of sex trafficking. One woman lives in one of those tiny African countries where there's like one doctor for every 2 million people and women are dying in childbirth because they don't have access to medical care mm-hmm. going around the villages and she's, you know, training up midwives and the mortality rate is just tanking because mm-hmm. we don't have access to medical care. And I'm watching this 
I remember my husband didn't really have much interest in watching it. So I'm like in our bedroom, watching it, laying in bed, bawling my eyes out. I mean, just sobbing. And it was that moment of going, I have no excuse because I have been seeing this problem for three and a half years now. These people need jobs. People in Guatemala need jobs. People need jobs that like, that's what people need. They, they need jobs and I'm not doing anything about it. And um, those three and a half years of seeing that problem and keep thinking like someone has got to do something about this. Mm. Someone's <laughs> got to do something about it. And that was my oh crap moment of going, well, I guess that's me. <laughs> mm-hmm. here, here okay. <laughs> okay, I get the point. Um, so the next day, I think it was the next day I was like at work at Comcast, like hiding in a conference room on my lunch break, hoping that nobody had it booked. And I'm on the phone with the director of Lemonade International going, I've been thinking about this for years. I have this idea, this business model that I really think I need to do something about uh, who do you know that makes stuff. So I had no connections with makers. Um, Coming from a marketing background, I knew nothing about product development, um, nothing about business administration, nothing about international business, nothing really about poverty alleviation, like none of the things. Mm-hmm. I could build mm-hmm. a website that works and that was pretty much it. It was the only thing I knew how to do. Which turned out to be a very valuable skill for what you ended up doing. <laughs> it really did. Um, so it took 13 months to get it off the ground. Um, and we kind of fell into shoes. That's not something that I ever would have picked, uh, especially mm. knowing what I know now. Um, <laughs> case of being naive is gosh it's so good ignorance is is. it's so good um so we launched the business we did like shoes bags scarves jewelry we tried to do the whole nine yards because that's what you should do right like you launch a business with a full category of of uh products and very quickly it was a very bad idea (laughs) um because you can't do it all and do it well Mm. um but I'm glad that we did because if I had picked one thing out of the gate, it never would have been shoes. Mm. Never. Um, but that was the thing that mm-hmm. stuck. And I think it was because it was unique. Um, it, because most people are smart enough to not do that because shoes are really hard. <laughs> <laughs> You've actually said, um, and you'll have to, but the, the measurement part of the shoe is what makes it so complicated um uh, there are many things that make it complicated but like <laughs> not a t-shirt yeah. mm-hmm. like if it's off by one millimeter literally yeah. no one's going to know like no one's going to have any idea that this is off by a millimeter yeah. you've got a pair of shoes if it's off by a millimeter it changes how it fits um i mean even things down to they call it toe kick like how much mm-hmm. um the toe on the shoe curves up like mm-hmm. if you have a totally flat shoe, you actually can't walk in at all. Like you can't. Yeah. Walk. Um, so it's got to have the right amount of toe kick to it. Um, you know, the balance between how high the heel goes up and the, all of, all of the things. Mm-hmm. Of um, Who knew? Um, I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll tell you that. Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, and also too, not only just the the specificity that you had to be with ev- all of that, you're dealing with production in another country with another language as well, um, which, which 
in Spanish? Um, I do now. <laughs> I can. So here's my thing with Spanish. I can, once I'm in Guatemala for like two days, I can understand a lot. Um, for me, speaking it is a confidence thing. Like mm -hmm. I don't do it. Like mm -hmm. I'll like order my meal in Spanish, but I'm most likely not going to sit there and have a conversation with somebody in Spanish. Mm -hmm. I probably could. And my in-country manager pushes me to do it sometimes. He's like, you can do this. And I'm like, you're like, you know what? <laughs> I want to. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. I think that's why they say that, that children should uh, learn foreign languages when they're younger, because they don't have that, the fear factor of like doing it wrong as much as we do as adults. And so they, they say that, um, and too, their brains are like little sponges and they soak it all up much faster than we do when we're old and um, but I have heard that, that it's like a lot of it is the confidence, like they, they're willing to try more than we are as adults because they're, they don't have that. That's it's, interesting though. Yeah, it's very true. And my husband, he's Vietnamese, um, like he was born in Vietnam and I've told him, I'm like, you've got to, he says that his, his language level, cause he moved here when he was four or five. Mm -hmm. Um, he's like, I've got like a third grade speaking ability in Vietnamese and I'm like you're going to be talking that to our kid because <laughs> what language it is it's like if you can speak another language yeah that's automatically like gives you a leg up in life yeah uh -huh. yeah uh -huh. it does it does and people For think sure. you're real cool too <laughs> you know so many tricks <laughs> yeah. oh my gosh I love it okay so you didn't you didn't actually start with shoes but that's where you stuck, so yeah. to speak. Um, and you have given my students, I, I use this, this a lot. Um, it's my Bethany Tran borrowed quote about niche. I want you to share that. <laughs> I told that and to the, like seven people now because you shared it uh, on yeah. a previous episode. Yeah. yeah. Niche yeah. is rich and broad is broke. Yeah. Um, and it's what definitely what I learned. Um, and it was probably one of the earliest pieces of advice that I had was given was pick one thing and do it well. And I was like, mm -hmm. whatever. <laughs> <laughs> Multiple. Yeah. What you're talking about. Um, and yet starting off with trying to do all of the things um, and doing none of them well, I think it, it took probably... 12 to 18 months before I really started realizing that like, number one, this was a really terrible idea. Um, we need to like narrow down our product offering. Um, and then interestingly enough, it was like the groups that we were partnering with on some of these things, just, you know, they disbanded, they decided to move in a different direction. So it just kind of naturally fell off. Um, and we narrowed everything down to just doing shoes for several years and mm -hmm. when I made that decision that, okay, you know, we're going to scratch everything else out and we're only going to do this. That was really when the business started to grow because now all of a sudden, like we're, you weeded out all the distractions. Yep. Yeah. Mm -hmm. We're focusing on the thing that's working for us. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and the thing that sucks, sucks with product-based businesses is that it's like the thing that works for you is often not necessarily the easy thing. It's not necessarily what I you think would that's expect. also God's plan for our life. I feel like a little bit, <laughs> you know, you're like, here, Jesus, like, <laughs> not this really hard thing for you. So go yeah. have at it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Good, luck. Good luck with that. Enjoy. Yeah. But I think yeah. that comes down to, too, it's like, 
when people use the phrase, God's not going to give you more than you can handle. <laughs> I want to throat punch them because I'm like, number one, that is nowhere in the Bible. Correct. At least not the Bible I'm reading. And yes, God is absolutely. That's not even in the message. <laughs> <laughs> if it's not yeah. in the message, then it's definitely not in the Bible. Uh, but it's like, God is 100% going to give you more than you can handle or else you wouldn't need him. Yeah. That's good. Um, and coming from a business perspective, it was, I've joked that we have done this the hardest way possible. And I think it has built my faith because it's like, I literally cannot do this mm -hmm. on my own. Like I've had mm -hmm. people for years and years and years, you've got to get out of Guatemala. You can't build a business there. You've got to get out of Guatemala. Or if you're going to stay in Guatemala, you've got to start working with legitimate factories. You can't continue working with these small workshops mm. that can only handle so much when scaling is really difficult you've got the language barrier you've got the cultural barrier you've got the fact that Guatemala has basically no export industry so things like quality and standards are not built in yeah if they're thinking because they don't do that yeah. um and so we did I did things the hardest way possible um and for my sanity's sake, it would have been nice for that to not have been the case. <laughs> People ask me regularly if I ever want to quit, and my answer is the same every time. About five days a week. Yeah. 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 But I'm so thankful that you haven't. <laughs> because you're doing something I think that is is so unique. Um you know, not just the, not even just the fair, fair trade aspect of it, but just the design of the shoe, like the fabric, the, just all of it. So talk a little bit about that. Like what goes into how you choose, you know, the different fabrics that you're going to use. And, um, and also you've talked before about the sourcing of those things. And I think that's important to, to bring out there too. Um, when you, when you think about, yes, I love this fabric, but then how long is it going to take me to get enough to make X number of pairs of shoes? Yeah. Because it is, you know, hand woven fabric. Yeah. Details. Yeah. Um, yeah. Our raw material sourcing has been a very interesting journey in which we are constantly <laughs> learning. Um, yeah. Cause then that's the other thing too, is that not only are we like doing the design and the production, like managing the production with these small batch makers, but we're sourcing all of our materials ourselves. Mm. Um, oh. And we're sourcing them in a country that does not have access to a lot of really simple things that you would think you like, we can go to Hobby Lobby and we can get, you know, zippers in whatever color we want. Mm -hmm. like, not that easy, yeah. <laughs> not that easy in Guatemala. Mm -hmm. um, so one of the first, I remember the first conversations I had when we were in that 13 month period of trying to get the business off the ground. So like, I think it was October that I had that first phone call going, you know, who do you know that makes stuff? Mm -hmm. um, I was back down in Guatemala, March, April, something like that of the following year to meet with um, the or to start looking at relationships, what it could look like of people actually making our finished goods. And, um, you know, there's a lot of fabric in Guatemala because that is a very cultural thing for them. Um, you know, not all cultures have that as part of their heritage, but it is a very, very big thing in Guatemala, um, specifically with the women in the rural areas. So I had asked one of our potential makers, I was like, where do you get 
your material from? Like, where do you get the fabric from? And they go, well, we go to the market and we buy it. And I said, okay, so you go to the market on like a Tuesday and you buy certain color fabric. If you go back the next week, are they going to have that? And they were like, we never know. Oh gosh. Yeah. Okay. Crap. (laughs) This is (laughs) a problem. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Because we can't. Yeah. We can't start a business with going, we don't actually know what colors that we can get. Cause a lot goes into picking the colors and doing the photos and like all of that stuff. It's mm-hmm. not something that's just easy to just, you know, mm-hmm. say, well, it's fine. They ran out. We can just go get a different color. So I had started a connection. Um, I literally went to Google and I was like, weaving groups in Guatemala. Let's see what happens here. Um, ended up talking with a few different groups um, and we ended up partnering with uh, one group, which we are still working with them. Um, and it was all of our fabrics are now hand woven. Um, and there's definitely, as we've scaled and grown still, it is a challenge to make sure we have enough lead time for all of the things too. Cause one of our big goals is to try to keep people working consistently. Mm-hmm. So we don't want to come in and be like, okay, we need, you know, 300 meters or 500 meters of fabric that's going to last us for the next, you know, eight months to a year, because then they're going to make all of this and then they're not going to have any work coming from us. So we very intentionally were trying to make sure that we were doing smaller orders so that we can keep people working consistently. Um, and so that was definitely a challenge. Um, mm-hmm. and also just things like deadlines, uh, I have, um, uh, a business friend here in Raleigh who's worked in Guatemala quite a bit too and he calls it manana culture like oh, that's fine that's that's tomorrow. Tomorrow. just do it tomorrow um and coming from an American business I would thrive there <laughs> <laughs> it makes you want to flip out I think it's been you know there's always stuff that you can learn from everybody and that has been one thing where it's like learning how to let go of being my type a control free mm-hmm. like deadline 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 um because sometimes you just have to things will happen like you'll lose power for an afternoon yeah. absolutely no reason so well it's just gonna have to get done tomorrow mm-hmm. um you know, we experienced that donna do you remember i think that was on that trip we experienced that at one of the places we stayed in guatemala and yeah. you're like mm, power outage oh great <laughs> Good, good. How long? This was going to happen. They're like, we don't know. It happens kind of daily. And it's like, yeah, yeah. So, but I like it. It always fell about nap time, which was good because you didn't feel like, you know, yeah. you're like, I can't really do anything. So, yeah, that's fine. <laughs> never had it happen in all the years I've been going to. Oh my gosh. Where I have been has never lost power. Just that's, that's crazy. Amazing. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, it, it's still, um, you know, it's still a learning process with, you know, getting the correct lead time that we need for raw materials. Um, and another big thing was uh, leather. Um, mm. And it's really hard starting off anything um, when you're dealing with what they call MOQs, which is minimum order quantity. So like if you start working with like a tannery for your level, your leather, mm-hmm. they have an MOQ that you have to meet. Um, and it's risky to be putting out that much money. Um, mm-hmm. but then we kind of found that we were having some of the same problems where a leather that, gosh, I can remember, it was when we first launched our boots. 
very first launched our boots. Um, this is probably four years ago, maybe five years ago now. And we had been using this leather and had had no problems getting it whatsoever. And we were just getting it from the market. Um, and then we launch our boots and all of a sudden we sold out like immediately. They were hot, hot, hot seller. Can't find the leather anywhere. It's gone. Hmm. Well, when are we getting more? That's a problem. I don't know. I don't, I don't know when we're getting more. It, we ended up behind production two and a half months because we couldn't get the leather. After just launching something that was like a major seller for us. Um, but that was, I think, really our first experience in understanding how awesome our customers are because we mm. work a lot off of pre-order, which is basically, hey, if we don't have it in stock, we're going to, you can basically order it now. We're going to have it made just for you. And when it comes in our door, we're going to turn around and ship it right back out. Um, mm. because we still keep low inventory on everything. Um, again, because like the worst thing for a business to do is have stuff sitting on the shelf that's not selling. Um, and especially when we launch something new, because consumers are very confusing on what they like and what they don't like. <laughs> So we're not going to like order a whole bunch of stuff and be like, fingers crossed, hope it sells. Um, so we always order a pretty small quantity. So when we launched our boots, we switched everything over to pre-order and then we find out, well, shoot, we don't know when we can get more leather. Um, and we had, we had customers who had ordered like right when we had launched them on pre-order and they waited mm. for two and a half months Wow, to get their shoes in. Mm -hmm. um, and I think during that whole time, we had a ton of pre-orders. I think we only had a couple people cancel. Most of the people were like, I understand that mm -hmm. this is a very handmade product. I understand where you're working. Um, and I also understand that if I cancel my order, what an impact that's going to have on these people's jobs. Mm -hmm. um, well, Bethany, and I think that speaks volumes. And I brag on you all the time in my class when we talk about retail community the community that you've built around your brand um and you've done it mostly i think through facebook obviously use instagram too some and you're you mentioned in the last time we talked that you were doing email marketing but if you your facebook community is one of the as far as i've i have observed one of the most supportive encouraging obviously patient groups of people that i've ever seen and i think that that speaks just volumes to like what, um, what you've done there as far as developing that and really, uh, understanding the value that it has for you as a business. And I think um, <clears throat> that's, that is one thing I talk to new entrepreneurs about all the time. It's like, if you're not building a community around your brand, you are mm -hmm. missing out on mm -hmm. so many things. Cause mm -hmm. it's like getting a new customer is really, really hard and mm -hmm. usually very expensive to get a new customer. But if you can mm -hmm. get customers who keep coming back, it's ch literally cheaper for you. It's going to cost you less money to do mm -hmm. that. Um, and you, I'm going to say this and it's probably going to come out wrong, but you don't have to work as hard for it. Yeah. It's already there. Yeah. It's already there. So community yeah. building was not something that had ever been mentioned to me as a business strategy, but it was something that that I had worked on very intentionally from the beginning because of just seeing the value behind like mm -hmm. you get people invested in what you're mm -hmm. doing. They're mm -hmm. going to keep coming back 
over and over and over again. Um, and I had, uh, I had a friend visiting just for a couple of days, um, like a week or two ago. And we were talking about this, um, and she runs a business as well. And we were talking about community building and, you know, and she said the thing that's really neat about what's happened with the community, with the root collective is she's like, everybody feels like you're their friend. Yeah. <laughs> like they, they know. Who yeah. They know who yeah. Um, yeah. And it's like, and it's, it's not fake. Like mm-hmm. none of that is fake. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I've been very intentional about, um, you know, being involved in that community. I run that group. Mm-hmm. Like, no one else runs it. I run that group. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we let people know what's going on. Like with this year, with COVID ruining life <laughs> in general um, and having our business impacted so severely from a production standpoint, I mean, from the beginning, um, I was doing Facebook lives in that group going, here's what's going on. Well, I think you're, I've respected too, how greatly, like you were honest about whenever the, um, like the payout was happening and stuff. And like, it made me angry for these small businesses that are doing the most and then seeing all of these really large corporations just come in and swoop it up you know, and seeing that there's people like you out there that it's like, you're trying, you know, to get it, you're trying to keep multiple things afloat and then Mm -hmm. to, you know, get denied or get delayed, like all of that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. With, with the, the governmental support that came through um, when COVID hit, that was a very, very, very frustrating time for a lot of small Yeah. Um, but I think, and being honest about that, because I think, because again, people are invested in you they're invested in the root collective. And it's like, that made me more aware, you know, just even seeing that because it's like, yes, I've never met you, but I feel like I know you because of Laura and just our community and everything. And then just being like angry for you, you know? Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, It really, it was, we even had people, customers, um, basically (laughs) when everything went down going, let us buy ahead tell us what's coming. Let mm-hmm. us buy ahead. Mm-hmm. And I actually refuse to do it because I'm like, I literally have no idea when yeah. Yeah. back up and I'm not going to take your money now. Um, and go, you know, it might take nine months for you to get this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We just didn't yeah. But again, it just really spoke volumes about our community and, um, you know, they really just do, they just feel so invested. Um, and they are invested mm-hmm. because we've we've given them that opportunity. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. You, I love, love, love that you include your community in design ideas, um, fabric selection. Um, I mean, like it, it's like you said, like people feel like they're a part of the root collective because which in turn, if you're thinking about this from the marketing standpoint, when people get their stuff, then they're telling the world how much they love their stuff. Just like we were talking about with the customized boots before we got started, like, you know, you're getting th- that value that you're getting back in terms of uh, word of mouth and the publicity that spins off of that is that you can't put a price on that. You can't, you couldn't pay for that in a, you know, magazine ad or uh, whatever you're going to do um, because it's it's a personal connection that they have with you that they're then transferring to their circle of influence and I love that it's just um, it's it's really what you know most small businesses should be modeling honestly um, in terms of that community 
Um, and I completely agree. I'm not saying that because I think we've done a perfect job at it. Um, <laughs> if you're not building community behind your brand, like you are missing out. Mm-hmm. So much, mm-hmm. so much. Yeah, I love that. Well, tell us what, um, tell us what's new with the Root Collective because you had some new things that have been going on. So, um, so people can, when they head to the website, tell us about the new products that just launched and, um, yeah, let's start with that first. So, well, this year, um, threw us for a real big loop. So <laughs> <laughs> what we had planned for 2020 is now, uh, 2021, but we were able to, we just launched a knee high boot, um, a couple of weeks ago, which, you know, we thought feet were hard and now we're dealing with feet and calves, which are also <laughs> yeah. hard. Um, everybody's just so different, you know, mm-hmm. good or bad. It's just different and trying to create products that fit the broadest number of people possible is uh-huh. um, a bit of a nightmare. But <laughs> we did just want those. Um, they're beautiful. Um, they're so beautiful. Yeah, they're really pretty. And another big thing that we did this year, um, which was a lot of fun. It's something that we had been wanting to do for a long time, but it took a long time to figure out how to do it. Um, is now we offer um, you can customize your own pair. That's amazing. So, and what's fun about it is, so we currently have that on two style flats and all of our ankle boots. So it's not available on like every single shoe product Mm -hmm. um, and it's not available on bags yet. But what's fun about it is that like, we've got our standard for like our leathers and some of our fabrics, but then um, we're actually going to some of the markets and we're buying these really cool Guatemalan fabrics and it's limited. Like when we run out, we run out and we can't get Mm. it again. Mm. Um, And that's been a really fun thing. So you can literally go on there. We've got this, um, a customizer on our site. So like you can see what the base shoe would look like and you can Mm -hmm. flip out the different fabrics and the leather, um, with the flats you can pick, do you want the main part of the shoe to be fabric? Do you want it to be leather? Um, and then it's literally made just for you. And we say all the time, this is like ultimate bragging rights. Mm-hmm. <laughs> ultimate yes. bragging rights. Made these shoes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, one of the big things that we hear all the time from our customers is like, I can't walk out the door without getting compliments on my mm-hmm. shoes. So like, if you mm-hmm. made your own pair, like you designed it, you can be like, yeah, thanks. You know, I designed it. <laughs> yeah. I love it. I love it. Oh gosh. I, um, so I do, I have a pair of the boots too. I have the, uh, they don't have a zipper. Is it the Lee? Yeah. You either have the Lee or the Blythe. Yeah. It was in the, um, the Merlot color that we call it, we call it maroon, maroon down here. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And I, I really do love them. They're, um, they're comfortable and they're, I mean, they are true maroon. So I always uh, try to wear them with my, my Marine Friday gear, but I'm super excited. I've got my eye on the, um, the ones with the zipper this time. I think they're it's the so SB. Yeah. The mm-hmm. SB are like, have been on my list for mm-hmm. forever. We have, those, and then I don't know when this podcast is airing, but the end of October we're launching, it's basically like the same cut, but like mm-hmm. the whole front of it's leather and the back of it's fabric. And we're launching a new one. That's the same, essentially the same cut. It's called the Whitney. 
but there's only a small piece of fabric across the top of the back of it. So it's more of a neutral. Oh. So that's coming the end of October. And that style is only going to be available custom. Okay. Oh. This, this airs, I think, October 29th. Yes. So around that time. Okay. This is exciting. Okay. I may, I may have to wait and see what that looks like before. Posted in the group. Um, well, I wore them last night. So you can go just. Yes. Look. Yes. Okay. And then you also just launched uh, the mule, the flat. Yes. That's pretty. Mm-hmm. And that rose gold color, the that color is so pretty. Yeah, that was a very, very mm-hmm. long time in the making. <laughs> very long time. We were originally supposed to launch that a year ago. Oh wow! It just came out in September. Um, I mean, it should have like had COVID not happened, it would have been out long before. Mm-hmm. Now, but, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, we did. We sold out of our in-stock inventory in less than 10 minutes. Oh my gosh. (laughs) That's impressive. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Those were very highly, highly awaited and anticipated shoes. And they're, in my opinion, our most comfortable flat. Um, Because I've never honestly been like a ballet flats girl, which is hilarious considering that that's (laughs) all I wore for years because that's what we sold we had ballet uh-huh. um, uh-huh. but the mules are again it's like going to the grocery store I had to go to the grocery store that's what I slipped on with uh-huh. my, I yeah. in my tank top and I felt so put together they yeah. are so so pretty. pretty I love very pretty I love the love the rose gold so that is exciting okay we'll talk about uh let's talk about COVID we talked a little bit about that and the impact, but talk to me about, talk to us about the travel that we've, that, <laughs> that hasn't happened. And what does that look like post COVID? What does it look like for you moving forward? I have absolutely no idea. <laughs> yeah. Um, has mean, it come, has it complicated? Like, do you normally do a lot of the production stuff? You go down and do that. And has that been harder? It depends. I mean, yes, in an ideal world, I'm down there at least twice a year when we are planning like Mm -hmm. design for our big Mm -hmm. stuff. Um, So normally I am down there. What has saved us is that we have a full-time in-country manager. So it does not rely on me to be there. Like Mm -hmm. it would have been easier for me to be there, but um, we're able to continue without um, me being down there. And I honestly, you know, because life has now changed. We've got a baby on the way. What is it going to look like for travel next year? I have absolutely no idea. Like, yeah, people keep asking me when I'm going down next. And I'm like, I literally don't know because I don't, you know, we don't know what life is going to look like just with COVID in the next six to 12 months. And then, um, you know, you add a baby into that mix. And I just literally have absolutely no idea. Man, you talk about people coming out on their porch the gringo with the baby, baby strapped on walking through the slums and (laughs) I can see it now. That's that's the thing too. It's like, I know my husband, if I'd be like, yeah, I'm going to take the baby down that he'd be like, like, hell you are. Yeah. Yeah. It's going to be a hard no. It's going to be a hard, hard no. So, um, oh my gosh. Talking about this last night, like 
wanting to go on some kind of like an actual vacation because we were supposed to go that's adorable a real vacation (laughs) this year and last night he was like well I want to put money aside so we can go on an actual vacation next year and I'm like honey we're just gonna have to see what life looks like in a year from because we just don't know like Mm -hmm. I was like I want to make sure we're not like and there's nothing wrong with this it's just people being different like some people are like I'm not going to leave my kid alone until they're like like without us until they're like five Mm -hmm. that's not going to be our life like I don't want that to be our life I want to make sure we feel like we can leave um but we also can't leave a four-month-old for yeah week like that's not sure yeah (laughs) sure oh my gosh oh and you're having a boy you're having a boy it's a boy that's so exciting you already have a name so we have a, what we're saying, a tentative name that we reserve the right to change our mind. <laughs> I don't think we're going to change our mind, but um, I think my husband feels a lot of pressure in being like, this is the name. So, and we still have got, you know, we've got months yet. You got time. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. But for me, I'm like, I really want to pick a name now. I like having things done. Sure. Having yeah. planned. I don't like having something like weighing yeah. over me. Yeah. What is your Enneagram number? I'm a one. Explains a lot. Pretty much everybody yeah. we talk to is either a one or a seven. Like on the yeah. entrepreneurs. Maybe there's a type. Yeah. There. Yeah. yeah. Well, like think- the entrepreneur and then the we'll try it. It's fun type. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I would think if I had to guess, most entrepreneurs are ones or threes. Yeah. Oh, I would think, yeah, for sure. Three. Yeah. So uh so journey to baby, mm-hmm. you want to talk about that a little bit? Um, that has been, uh, I feel like part of your story that you had, have also, uh, built community around. Um, I think people really relate to what you've gone through with that and feel, feel like you're their friend for that reason too because you have, you have been pretty transparent and, um, shared some of the struggles that y'all went through. Yeah. Um, we went through two and a half years of infertility, um, which gosh, I wish people would talk about more. Like it's so freaking common. Um, and there is so much shame wrapped Mm -hmm. around infertility. Um, especially when it's, when it's, the woman who mm-hmm. can't have kids, which was, um, which was me, um, you know, it's like our bodies were literally created to do this. Um, and yeah. that doesn't work. Um, so we had started trying, I think it was, it was over two and a half years ago now. Um, <laughs> and I come from a family where like the women in my family look at a man and they're pregnant immediately. Like that's Mm -hmm. pretty much how it just goes. Um, And so you never really, like, you never think it's going to be you. Like, you know, people have a hard time getting pregnant. Mm -hmm. You never think it's going to be you. Um, And we actually did get pregnant within six months. um, And I miscarried very early. Um, I hadn't even told my husband that I had had a positive pregnancy test um, because I was I guess, I don't know. I guess I was just freaked out. I'm like, I feel like I needed to wait a couple of days. Mm -hmm. Um, Because, you know, not all pregnancy tests are also like, you've got two bold lines on there. Like sometimes Mm -hmm. like you got, like you've got the, the 
um, what's it called the control line. Mm-hmm. And the line that says you're pregnant is not always super, super bold. And mine was not. Mm-hmm. Um, so I felt like I needed to wait a couple days. And then the day I was going to tell him, um, I miscarried and, um, but then even still, it was like, all right, well, you know, at six months, we'll be able to get pregnant again pretty quickly. Um, and at the time we started trying to get pregnant when I was 35, which is, uh, what they like to call geriatric. I so die. Or elderly. Yeah. That's better. That's even better. Yeah. I have seen on some of my paperwork. I'm like, thanks guys. Really good for myself. So you're having this baby in the nursing home. (laughs) Yeah. Get my walker out. Yeah. My false teeth. My wig, maybe. I don't know. Yeah. Um, They really make you feel ridiculous. Um, So it was already (laughs) geriatric. (laughs) We started Mm -hmm. trying. Um, But again, you know, we got pregnant within six months. So this, you know, there shouldn't be a problem. And um, once you're so if you're under 35, they say, if you're trying for a year, you need to go to the doctor. If you're over mm-hmm. 35, they say six months. I was not ready in six months. Um, so I'd actually scheduled an appointment and canceled it because I'm like, it's, I don't know. There's so much vulnerability behind, mm-hmm. like even just going to the doctor when you're having a hard time getting pregnant. Um, so I ended up waiting Um, I think I had scheduled that appointment. I would have gone in January and ended up not going until May. Um, and I went to a more holistic, like it wasn't an infertility clinic. It was an OBGYN, a holistic OBGYN that focused on fertility. Um, because you know, you hear all the stories. Oh, well, all I needed was Clomid. All I needed was this, Mm. was this, like, it's, it's something very simple. Um, and one of the big things they have you do is track your cycle, um, you know, including anything unusual, anything unusual. Um, and I think within two or three months, and also based on my history of since I was 16 of having horrific cycles, like mm-hmm. having to pull over on the side of the road to throw up, um, mm-hmm. like cramped so bad. I couldn't stand up straight. Um, feeling like I had the flu being completely exhausted, literally having maybe five to seven days a month where I felt normal. Um, and that went on for years before I finally had gone to the doctor for it in my early twenties. And the thing they're going to do is just push on birth control, just push on birth control. It's fine. We're just going to put you on birth control. It's going to solve all the problems. Um, and I think there's a lot more conversations now about the harm that can also be done from hormonal birth control that, um, you know, didn't know back then. Um, so I was on birth control in my twenties for, um, I don't know, maybe five, six, seven years, something like that. And, um, had gone off, um, I think we had been married for a few years. Like we weren't trying to have kids, but it was like an insurance thing. Like, our insurance changed. I decided to go off birth control and I didn't have any of those symptoms come back. Um, but once we started going through infertility and, um, my doctor who specialized in endometriosis started looking at all of this, she goes, I'm pretty sure you'll have endometriosis. Um, and that was a word I'd heard before, but didn't really know anything about started doing some research. And I'm like, Oh my God, 
mm-hmm. more than 20 years, all of a sudden it's completely explained. Mm-hmm. Completely explained. This is what it's been this whole time. Um, and endometriosis is the number one cause of infertility. Mm-hmm. Um, and it blows my mind that if you've got a young 20 something or even a teenager, because I know teenagers who I'm 99% sure have it. I was diagnosed at 13 and had a hysterectomy at 29. Yeah. See, and it's like, almost Mm -hmm. like you were lucky that you were diagnosed that early because that's in Alabama. So, I mean, let's say that's, you know, (laughs) (laughs) I mean, seriously, like I was in Pennsylvania, right. Should have been something that was mentioned. Um, it's not mentioned. Mm-hmm. It, and I'm like, I don't understand why this was not said to me. Like, this is probably what it, we're going to put you on birth control to manage it, but this is probably what's happening. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it doesn't make mm-hmm. any sense. I'm yeah. like, mm-hmm. like, if you had looked at my symptoms, it would have been like, yep, you have endometriosis. Yeah. I mean, just hearing you say, like, I mean, you described every single month for me with my cycles. I was like, oh gosh, you know, <laughs> so yeah. Um, so, but the only way for them to actually diagnose it officially um, and to do anything about it from an infertility standpoint is surgery, mm-hmm. um, which is probably another big reason why it is underdiagnosed is because you can't do an ultrasound. There's no scan mm-hmm. you can do. Um, did they, did you have surgery? So I had several procedures and then, um, and it was one of those, they were like, this is what it is. I had several like leaps and uh, biopsies and all that stuff. And then it finally got to, I mean, they told me that I probably would never be able to have kids, which hello, college born son, William, you know? And so, um, but that was always hard too, because I shouldn't have been able to have kids. Like, I mean, they told me I could not when I was like 15. And so, I mean, when I started dating my now husband, I told him, I was like, I can't have kids um, because I felt like he was the one. And I felt like he deserved to know that. Um, which now it looks like I might have like swindled him just to get pregnant. (laughs) So, but all that to say, so then, um, it got a little better after William. And then whenever I had our daughter, it got really bad again. And then they just said, I was having a ton of problems that were not ending very well. And it turned into an emergency situation. So I had a hysterectomy and they were like, oh yeah, like surgery that was supposed to last you know, a little bit really lasted like eight hours. And it was because it had like, it was all the scar tissue. It was all attached to like my adjoining organs. Like, I mean, it was crazy and it's, but it's one of those things. Yeah. So my mom's had several DNCs because she has fibroids and stuff, but that's usually they have to go in with like a DNC and like clean you out, you know, it's, it's awful. Yeah. But you're right. It's just not I mean, there's so, I feel like now there's more people that struggle with fertility than don't. I mean, so it's like, what has changed? Like, what are we putting in our body? Like what is happening that this is Mm -hmm. the case? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it's very true. It's like, it's all of this stuff is about hormones and inflammation. Uh, And I just, I've been talking about this a lot lately with like how reactive our healthcare system is here in the state. Yeah all reactive there's nothing proactive going on even with covid like Mm -hmm. one of the best things that you can do is take freaking vitamin d Mm -hmm. it took forever for that to actually like start making mainstream media take yeah it's also one of the best things you can do to protect yourself against the flu take vitamin d yeah 
and people yeah. talk about it because they, mm-hmm. well, number one, rather you go get a flu shot that's, you know, yeah. filled by pharmaceutical companies. I have all kinds of opinions about that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, coming from someone that has rheumatoid arthritis, I get super frustrated all the time. I'm like, because here's the problem. You give me this drug to help this. Well, then it gives me this, you know, like it ended up with autoimmune hepatitis from like, it's like for real, like, right. can you just find a cure? Can we yeah. just focus on the cure? Yeah. So, yeah. Or they should be talking about the stuff that you're putting in your body. Like what vitamins are you taking? Exactly. What are you eating? Um, yeah. And you know, once we really started struggling, we knew that there was a struggle with infertility. Um, and then I knew I was diagnosed pretty much diagnosed with yeah. diagnosis. It was okay. What foods do I need to cut out? Mm. And so yeah. I cutting out the most inflammatory foods, foods, which was gluten, dairy, and sugar. Yeah. Um, so we ended up, um, they went in for what was, it was really an exploratory surgery, but they were planning on being able to handle all the endometriosis. Mm-hmm. Basically, if you don't know what it is, it's that the lining of your uterus starts attaching to places outside of your uterus and creates lesions, which disrupts all of your hormones. Um, so they get in there and they realize that it was actually way worse than they thought mm. um, and that they weren't going to be able to actually clean it out, which is what you need to do when you're having fertility problems. So we ended up doing two surgeries within a month of each other. Um, I also had fibroids as well, which they knew because that stuff that they can see on an ultrasound. So they knew mm-hmm. going in that I had fibroids. Um so they basically, that first surgery, they did almost nothing um, because they got in there and they were like, nope, how <laughs> <sighs> to do it again. Um, and so they went in again um, a month later and they tell you with endometriosis, they're like, after you have surgery, your best shot at getting pregnant is within six months because it's going to start coming back. Yeah. Like, this is one of those things. Like once you have it, like there is no cure for it. Yeah. We'll always have endometriosis. So, um, you know, we started doing some meds and whatnot. And also at the same time, started having conversations about like, well, what are we going to do if this doesn't work? Cause, um, you know, another big thing is, you know, now I was at that point, 36, my husband was, you know, 45, something like that. We're not young. Yeah. <laughs> we don't have all the time in the world here to figure this out. So, um, so long story over the next six months, we started exploring options. Um, we did some consults with IVF clinics, which I had gone into that first consult going, there is absolutely no way I am doing IVF. None, not doing it. Uh, I had my mind made up and walked out going, holy crap, we might end up doing IVF. <laughs> this yeah. could end up happening. So we, um, like I said, we really took that next six months exploring options. What would it look like if we adopted, um, you know, still obviously trying to get pregnant, um, unsuccessfully. And we did eventually decide to go the IVF route. Um, I literally almost backed out a week before we started, um, just because it felt like it's just a lot. It's all a lot. Um, so we started IVF in February, um, had our egg retrieval in early March, and then COVID hit. <laughs> uh, of course, of course. Yeah. So 
um, that put us on hold for, I think it was only ended up being like maybe six, seven, eight weeks, something like that, which when you're trying to get pregnant, feels like a lifetime months feels mm-hmm. like forever. Um, and so we, we ended up, we only had one embryo, um, and we had already decided going into IVF, we're going to try this once. Um, cause we had some insurance coverage, which helped a lot, but IVF is insanely expensive. Um, and you put your body through a lot. Um, and so we're like, we're going to do this once. And if it doesn't work, then we're going to, you know, move on to the next thing. And so we ended up with one embryo, which we knew going into it, we had a really high chance of it being successful. Um, cause they're able to literally give you like statistics on whether mm-hmm. this is going to stick as we like <laughs> Um, and it did. So we had our embryo transfer, um, July 1st and went through a very painful 10 days of waiting. Um, and, and here we are, we just hit, um, we're going to come up on 19 weeks this Friday. We just had our, uh, our anatomy scan yesterday, got to see little dude. So funny there because the anatomy scan, like, I don't know if you guys have them. They like count fingers and toes and measure bones and mm-hmm. all this stuff. And they're trying to count his fingers. And also, um, you know, we knew we were having a boy, but they check all, all the parts, yep. <laughs> check them all, make sure that everything's okay. And he was lounging with his hands behind his head and <laughs> my husband going oh this is your kid (laughs) yeah that's amazing that is amazing Uh um, it it was neat it was neat to get to see that um because I think you know it's you probably worry through every pregnancy no matter how you got there but you know I think when you you go through the extra health it's just um it's hard not to just constantly be on edge, which mm-hmm. then people keep saying, you know, welcome to parenthood next forever of your life. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh. Bethany, thanks for sharing that. That's um, yeah. like I said, I think it's definitely something that, that people will resonate with, but also I, I just think it speaks uh, so much into how you've connected with, uh, with, customers who've now become friends, uh, whether you've ever, which we've realized this, um, a while back, we've never actually been in the same room together. <laughs> and I always say my friend, Bethany, <laughs> how did y'all meet? um, how did we, uh, noon, it was some noonday connection, I think yep. social media. Mm-hmm. And then, um, Bethany and my dear friend Brandy are also good friends. And so that, that also kind of that connection. Um, yeah. Like, yeah. 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 So um, we're going to have to fix that. We're definitely going to have to fix that. <laughs> that where you are is Raleigh. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So tell me yeah. this, how did you get connected with Candace Cameron Bray, how'd you get connected? Because I think so many people, they're like, "Oh, those are like the ones that Candace wore." And so, I love it. Gosh, it's a very roundabout story. Um, my sister started following someone on Instagram who 
I don't even remember how my sister ended up being like, hey, you should probably connect with this person. Um, and so my sister's like, you need to connect with her. And I was like, okay, cool. So she does PR. And um, she's one of those people who just will talk to anyone. I've envied those people because I'm not one of them. <laughs> so, um, and she had started her own PR firm, which is called Meet Cute PR. And so we ended up becoming a client of hers. And she is friends with Candace because of one of those random things. I literally think, because they both live in the LA-ish area. Um, <laughs> Uh, Candace was like looking for a gown for something and she was like working in a showroom and she literally like tweeted at her and was like, Hey, just stop by anytime we can help you out. And so she did. Um, and they ended up becoming friends. Um, and so I was going to be in Philadelphia for a conference and Emily was going to be in New York for something else. Um, and Candace was on the view at the time. Mm-hmm. she was also in New York. So Emily was mm-hmm. like, Hey, do you want to go for a taping of the view? Cause she knew I was going to be in Philly. And I was like, sure. Cause it's an hour and a half away. Right. And I was like, yeah, I'll come up to New York. So, um, we ended up doing a taping of the view and that night was, I can't remember what the film was called, but her brother, Kirk Cameron had an opening night of a film mm-hmm. that they had just done. I can't remember what it was called. Um, and they had, she was going to go see it in theaters that night. And she was like, Hey, you guys busy. Do you want to come? We're like, yeah, sure. Yeah. Why not? Yeah. Ended up hanging out with Candace for a night. She's very sweet. Like seems like she she appears nice meeting celebrities, famous people who actually are who they put off to be on social media. (laughs) That is not often the case. Um, But yeah, so she's really sweet. And um, we ended up then, you know, approaching her being like, Hey, you want a pair of shoes? Um, so, <laughs> um, she has the S Bay boots. Um, she wore them in at least one Hallmark movie. I saw it. I love it. Yeah. I saw it. It's when her daughter, the one, her daughter's actually her daughter in the, the movie. Yeah. I think. I think. Yeah. Yeah. So she's got a couple pairs of shoes now. She's, um, she's again, she's just, she's just a super sweet, genuine person. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. That's awesome. Okay. I'm going to make you pick. Oh boy. What is your favorite root collective shoe? Right now it is the Lily Mule. <laughs> I love it so much. Um, a close, I mean, besides the boots, which I mean, don't make me, well. <laughs> <laughs> don't make me. <laughs> I don't know. I really we have to say the Blythe boot mm. um, but we also have something coming out it was supposed to come out this year um, and it was supposed to come out next month and we today just decided we're like we just can't we cannot crank this out like it's just mm-hmm. not we just can't do it we got to push it off um, mm-hmm. and that one I also really love but I'm not going to talk about that yet okay I, I love I love a tease I love a tease I love yeah. it Okay, so last question here. What would you, for our friends who, who are listening, have been listening for the last few weeks, um, and they're like, okay, what is that saying? Once you, once you know better, you have to do better, mm-hmm. right? 
So we've hopefully had some conversations about knowing better um, with fair trade and with, with really being intentional about the purchases that we're making, right? Because we, 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 uh, what's that other quote? I'm like, uh, need to write these down, but basically you, the way you spend your money is, yes, that one. So if you're in that place, what do you need to do to start making the shift? What's your advice? Um, so we actually have an ebook on our website to help you with this very thing. <laughs> Look at that. Look at that. It's called five ways to change the world with how you shop. Um, and that's a real cute little book. Like we've got, it's like a kid's book. We've got illustrations in there. <laughs> um, I love illustration. Oh, I love me too. <laughs> me too. Um, but we take you through just five really easy things that you can do. Um, because that is probably the number one thing we hear from people is like, I want to start shopping ethically. I'm so overwhelmed. I don't know where to start. Um, but my, honestly, my one biggest piece of advice always is just to start with one thing. Just pick one thing. Like, I don't know, make it your coffee. Mm. <laughs> start buying mm -hmm. big, big mm -hmm. coffee. Um, but when it comes to apparel and clothing, um, you know, knowing what your personal style is, is going to help you a ton, a ton. Mm -hmm. um, we talk, I believe we talk about that in the book. I'm also working on another ebook to talk specifically about that because the art of personal style is gone. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it is. is so focused on trends, um, which we get questions a lot about like our design process. Like, well, how do you keep up with the trends? And I'm like, we don't. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, give a flying rip about what the trends are mm -hmm. but that's very fast fashion to where mm -hmm. you're creating more timeless pieces that are investment pieces yeah. Yeah. that you'll have forever something can be stylish and not be trendy mm -hmm. yeah is you know making sure that we've got something that like you're going to love and you're going to want to wear and you can also wear for 10 years mm -hmm. rather than like one season yeah mm -hmm. leave you um but, you know, honestly, really with me, I've become so brand loyal. Like once I found out my personal style, now I'm like, I'm just, I know where to go. I know mm -hmm. where to go for my basics. I know where to go for my more fun stuff. Um, and it just really helps with life. But down, if you're really interested, down, go to our website, download that ebook. Um, I believe we've got a link in the footer for like resources um, and I'm sure you guys can put it in the show notes as well. Um, we will. I'm doing that now. <laughs> I love it. I love it. That is, that's such good advice. And I think, uh, I think it speaks so much into the community around ethically sourced and fair trade um, brands is that you guys have almost all said the same thing. Yeah. Like, uh, and it, it starts start small. It, yeah. Yeah. Just, just you, nobody said, okay, go home and clean out your house and start all over or clean out your yeah. closet and start all over. Um, everybody has, has truly said just, you know, start small and, um, and, and do one, one thing, one thing and, and then go from there. So I love that. Uh, and y'all Bethany is so generous we're so excited to share that she is giving our listeners a $25 off gift uh, 
discount code. I said gift card, <laughs> discount code, <laughs> pretty much. <laughs> um, and the code is good things, good things. And that is for $25 off of your next root collective purchase. We love that. Is that through the end of the year? Is that forever? How long does that last? We've got that set up forever, but it's one time use. Okay. Okay. All right. We'll put that okay, in there. Practical. So on the website, I know it says if you're a half size, size up. Mm -hmm. Is there any other, like if people have sizing questions, they can reach out kind of thing or. Yeah. yeah. If you have sizing questions, you can email us, you can reach out on social media. Um, I would, if you really want to be in a cool community, would love to have you join our Facebook group. It's just the Root Collective Insiders. Um, people ask questions about not even just sizing and style, but like mm -hmm. we have favorite things I love um, another person who I met through social media and have become friends with her 13 year old daughter was looking to build a capsule wardrobe and so she came to the group and she was like we're looking for mm -hmm. these specific things um, and so we also love that like we don't want it to be all about us mm -hmm. like at all we really want it to be a conversation about uh, you know well, make sure you let me in. I was not in the insiders group. So I just requested. <laughs> like, please, please Get in there, me. girl. Get in there. Yeah. So. I love it. Yeah, it is. It is a fun place to be. That's for sure. Um, and I, like you said, with the sizing stuff, I, I find very, the group very helpful for that. Like if I'm not sure um, which way to go. So I love it. Bethany, thank you so much. Thank you yeah. for your time. It's a fascinating conversation. Just like seeing where you start, where you end up, where you're going. It's exciting. It is. It's very exciting. And we're so excited for you and for Ton and for baby, baby Tran. <laughs> yeah, awesome. Um, and your, when is your due date? March 19th. March 19th. Okay. I was just going to say, I have one on the 31st, but I don't want you to go that long. That would be miserable. Let's, let's, yeah. Mm -mm. Nope. <laughs> yeah. Uh -huh. It was three weeks early and I was ready. <laughs> I was ready. I'm glad he wasn't, uh, he wasn't full-term. He would have been ginormous. <laughs> so anyway, okay. Thanks so much for your time. Yeah. Thanks for having me. All right. Awesome. We um, are so appreciative and we are so grateful for the code too. And we hope that everyone who's listening goes to the rootcollective.com and gets their new pair of shoes or boots or a new bag, or there's a few kimonos left or just whatever you've got on there. Y'all support you'll Bethany find, and you'll find lots. So yeah. put it all in your cart, use your code, one-time code. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Thank all you. Right. Thank you. Bye. Bye. I just love Bethany. She's so brave. She's so smart. She's such a great example for doing hard things. Um, scary things, y'all. <laughs> Very scary things. And I hope that you enjoyed our time, our conversation with her. 
Be sure to check her website out at therootcollective.com. Use your discount code to get a great new pair of flats or maybe some fun boots for the winter. Um, just check it all out. Be sure that you use that code that she's given us. And then also join us for one more conversation next week. We uh, know that we're spilling over into November, but you do not want to miss this. Our conversation with our sweet friend, Kelsey Kunkel, who is the owner and founder of Driftless Style. It's a beautiful, beautiful shop, and you are going to love everything that she shares. You're going to love hearing her adoption story, so don't miss that next week. I hope you guys have a great week, and we'll see you then. Settle down, girls.